My name is Rachel Barenbaum. I'm the author of Abend in the Stars. And today I'm so excited about my special guest, Naima Koster. We share an editor, we share a publicist, a publisher. And I didn't even know that when I fell in love with this book. Her debut is so amazing. It is about family and love, women, the role of being a woman and what it means. And I can't wait to share this book with you. Naima, tell me, what is your book about? My book is about two families that are brought together when a local high school in North Carolina becomes integrated. And there are sort of love ties in there. There's excitement, there's family. Can you tell me a little bit more? Yes. So one family is headed by a woman named Jade who suffered a terrible loss. And she's trying to look out for the future of her son, G, who's a sensitive, anxious young black man. Then the other family is headed by a woman named Lacey May, who's determined to make sure her daughters have the kind of future that she was never allowed to have. And she opposes the integration. Yeah, and it leads to all kinds of exciting twists and turns in the book. So the accolades are staggering. Your book just came out already, instant New York Times bestseller. And before I even dig into the book, I just want to ask, how does it feel? It's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank you. Well, it feels a little surreal, um, but it's also really exciting and exceeds my expectations. And frankly, it's still sinking in, but I'm very, very happy that so many people are finding the book and responding to it. Yeah, I love that. So tell me about the title. What does it mean? So what's mine and yours comes from a line in the Shakespeare play Measure for Measure, which is a play that's staged in the book to bring together the new and old students at the high school. And it's playing around with this idea that when you love someone, you hold things in common. They're things that you share, but they're also things that you're never able to really hold in common. And they're always divisions, even in the most intimate kinds of bonds. I love that. So I really said, I really thought that you set up the tone for the book um, very early on, like in the first, I don't know, 15 pages. Um, and there's this one sentence uh, where a character says, if there's something I've learned in this country, it's that your address decides everything. What a sentence. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, this book is very much about inheritances and what we get from our families, what we get from the generations before us, how our lives are shaped by our neighborhood, our race, our class, our identity, and the different efforts people make to find new futures, but how difficult it can be to sort of move beyond that starting point. Um, another thing that uh, I really love about this book is your focus on women. Um, women make decisions, right, at the center of families, pushing their families. Um, and you talk about the role of a wife also early on. And you talk about how uh, for one character, she sees the role of a wife as the role of waiting, right, waiting for things to happen. Can you talk about that and, and you know, how you were thinking about that? There are a lot of lonely women in this book and they're lonely for different reasons. Um, so Jade, who I mentioned before is lonely because of loss, um, but she's also a really ambitious woman. So her dreams for her own life, keep her company and keep her going. And then Lacey May, who I mentioned before has a really erratic husband who struggles with addiction. And she feels like her potential has been really stifled by waiting for him. Um, and then her daughter, Noelle, who we see as a child and then we see as an adult, later in the novel is someone who always disapproved of her mother, 
but ends up having very similar longings, very much wanting to have her life revolve around her partner and hopefully a child she hopes to become a mother. And so I think the book is digging into some of the tensions that exist between ambition outside the home and then also the demands and burdens of home life, but also the pleasures and the dreams that some women have related to their families. I love that you brought up, um, again, motherhood, right? It's a constant theme and question. And um, in the book, you really address the issue of when to become a mother too, right? And uh, there's an abortion in there. You don't shy away from that. I was so happy to see that. Thank you, right? And there was no, you know, push and pull back and forth. Um, Can you talk about that? Did you get pushed back? How'd that go? Yeah, well, you know, fortunately, we have a great editor, and I didn't, I didn't get any pushback about that. You know, the characters in this book are all so different. What they share are strong longings for their future, and that leads the women in this book to make different decisions. So there's pregnancy loss in this book and the devastation around that. There's longing for a child very much. There's deciding that you're not ready to have a child um, and taking control of your future in that way. Um, And then there's also choosing to be a mom as one character Jade does and then realizing that she doesn't much like it, but it doesn't mean that she doesn't love her son. And so I wanted to show a whole complicated range of choices and then the emotions and experiences that stem from those choices. It made it so real showing that range, right? Because that is real life. That is how life falls together, right? In that range. Yeah, I definitely encounter that range all the time as I and my friends are in different stages, have different desires for our lives. Also think we want one thing and then realize that it's you know complicated. The reality is more complicated than the dream, whether that's being child-free or having one child or many children or being a single parent. Um, there's so much to explore. Yeah, but also choosing the timing of motherhood, right? Is a very, it's a feminist notion that I don't think authors, people talk about enough. And I so appreciated that you put that in there. Oh, good. I'm glad. And I think that um, it's part of what marks the women in, these, in this book as different from one another and the ways that they learn from each other. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, one of my favorite passages uh, comes where there are two characters um, and one says, uh, one says to the other, you speak your mind all you want. Meanwhile, your daughters run off to another house. And the mother says, are you saying I'm wrong? And the other character says, what's it matter if you are? You've got to decide whether you'd rather be right or you'd rather have your daughter. Oh, I just that passage, that moment just slayed me. Can you talk about it? Yeah, well, I I was really interested in showing who the mothers in this book were before they became mothers in some sense, whether we get to see that part of their life or just their recollections of that part of their life. And this woman, Lacey May, this mother, she's someone who's very headstrong, who's very attached to her ideas and believes that she's right. Um, And that's one of the ways that she feels good about herself because she hasn't quite achieved in much as much in her life as she would have liked to, but she feels that she's got good convictions and they're very important to her. And the fact that she loves her girls doesn't mean she can give up that sense of herself as someone who's righteous and has right ideas, um, even if it costs her the relationship. So she's sort of struggling there. Like, what do I want more? This sense of myself, this image of myself that's been so important to me or connection with my girls. Yeah. 
just a great question that applies to so many parts of life too, right? Is being right all that matters? Or is there more at stake here, more at issue? Yes, yes. These characters want to be right and they also want to go further in life. And I think the book is also asking, is that what's most important? Sort of moving ahead, class mobility, achievement, accomplishment. Um, and what does that do to families? Yeah, it's so great. Um, I want to shift a little bit and talk about race because that's obviously another huge part of the book. Um, and there's one moment, there's a scene where G is having uh, dinner with his teacher. And the teacher says that he wants, he has some advice that he wants to help the young brother. And he says, this is uh, the black teacher that's been helping with the play. And he says, if they're going to look at you, then you've got to give them something to look at. And I just thought that moment was, you know, such a turning point for your characters, for the book and that statement. Can you talk about it? Yeah, I was interested in that scene in rendering something that I've seen and experienced quite a lot, which is the pressure on people of color, specifically black people to prove their belonging in in white spaces. And so for G, he's being told to be exceptional. The teacher says, be like a torch who lights the way, quoting Shakespeare. And so he doesn't have much room to just be himself. Um, and he has this burden of proving his belonging that his white peers don't. Um, and it's crushing for G. And I wanted to give some space for that experience for him to be on the page. I liked it. And I, I like that what you're saying, because also G didn't then turn to this teacher and say, this is my idol. This is who I want to be. Right. He's giving him this advice and the teacher thinks that he's going to help him. And yet G is not latching on. I, I loved that you did that. Yeah. And I will say that I think it's a loss for G. Like he's able to sort of resist it, but he does kind of miss out on having a relationship with someone who might be able to say to him, just as you are with the history that you have, you are good and you will do great things just as you are. So he sort of misses out on that opportunity for a mentor and a companion when he's a young man who very much needs one. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to shift gears a little bit now and move towards the process of writing this book. Um, there are a lot of characters, a lot of scenes and places. How did you keep track of everything? Well, I lived for a number of years in North Carolina where much of the book is set. And so the landscape and a lot of the sites were really familiar to me. So in some ways, place was much more approachable than character or time because the time span for the book is so long and there's so many characters. But I thought about this book for a long time before I wrote it. I'd say I thought about it for two full years before I started writing. And in that time, I put together notes and sort of scraps of the story. So it was growing very, very slowly. Um, and the pieces were sort of falling into place before I wrote. So I'm imagining like a pile of scraps. <laughs> did you like lay them out on, you know, a board or something? Like, what did you do with all those? I don't have a particularly um, sort of like tactile process. It's just sort of like scraps of documents and folders across my, my, my desktop. So that's messy and, you know, doesn't belong on Pinterest. <laughs> 
amazing. Um, so your first book was a huge success also, congratulations, um, and published with Little A, which is an Amazon imprint. And now you're with Grand Central, which is a Hachette imprint. Um, how different is it? What was it like to move over? Well, they've been very different experiences. Um, I think because I've had different editors. Um, my editors at Little A were great, Vivian Lee and Morgan Parker, who are both writers. Um, but we were working on a different kind of book. Um, and it was a debut. So it was about, you know, finding, finding readers um, and, and bringing me sort of into the world. It was a different experience. And then with this book, which I think was more ambitious for me in terms of the writing of it, um, I had a very different experience where Seema, um, our editor at Grand Central, really got into the weeds with me and helped me reshape this book and look at all of its different parts. So it was much more editorially involved and a, a heavier lift editorially. So thank you, Seema. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Seema. So did you spend, so it was more time also from the time it was purchased till publication? With Grand it wasn't more time. It was Halsey Street took much longer, but it was much more intense. It was a much more hmm. intense experience. So maybe it was more time in terms of hours, but not in terms of years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and did you feel like Amazon was more geared towards Kindle and digital sales? Do you feel any difference there? Um, I don't think that Amazon was more geared necessarily towards digital sales, or that wasn't a clear part of my experience since my work was mostly with the editor um, that I worked with and the publicist there and sort of that team where it was really about the book and readers. Um, but I'm sure behind sort of the scenes, there were different kinds of questions about how to use the, the Amazon platform. Right, right. So what was the hardest part about uh, getting what's mine and yours out into the world? That's a great question. Um, from the writing side or sort of like from the, the publishing? Any of it. Like anything? what was the hardest part that you were just pounding your head against the wall? Yeah, well, I think that we have a lot of ideas about stories and what they should be that can be sort of limiting for us. So I think sometimes a book that has lots of characters might be seen as sprawling and thus not deep. Or a book that moves backward and forward in time might be seen as confusing or jarring rather than a book that follows some other kind of logic. And so I think that with this book, I ran into maybe some of the prejudices or ideas that people have about story and which stories cohere and which stories are compelling um, that had little to do with the text itself, um, but sort of hmm. questions of taste and preference. So that was challenging, I think. Hmm. Interesting, because there were so many characters. There's so many characters. And also um, there's the movement back and forth in time with which many books do um, and do beautifully. But I don't think that it changes kind of resistance to a book that doesn't have sort of a straightforwardly ticking clock and chronology, because we hear that and think, well, that probably is clear and makes sense and is easy to follow um, mm -hmm. rather than believing that we can move in all different kinds of ways that make sense in a novel. Got it. All right, so my last question for you is, what kind of advice do you have for new or young writers? I think that having community is really important. Um, so I have writers who I swap drafts with, 
writers who I send texts to saying I'm stuck or I haven't written in this long or I'm writing and it sucks. And I find that that is really helpful um, to be able to share and express some of those difficult emotions that come up for me when I'm writing, some of those frustrations with someone who has similar experiences and is able to hold space for them and gets it. And so that's really important and is sustaining. And then also, you know, writers share resources, whether that's an introduction to an editor of a journal or whatever it might be. And so being partners sort of in that professional pursuit, but also just like in the doing of it and the practice when I need encouragement and connection to other writers. Yes, we all need people to help cheer us along, right? So important. Naima, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations. I absolutely loved your book, What's Mine and Yours. May you sell many, many copies. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate that.